0: You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski, and welcome to Soul to Soul. This is and Adol Kazilski, and we are on the cusp of a new year. Please God, Wednesday night, Jews around the world will be celebrating and heralding in the year five thousand seven hundred and seventy-eight. Can you absolutely believe it? And uh, with permission of Kathy. Um, who likes all presenters to stick to their agendas. Um, I am going to deviate from my agenda this week. We are not going to be learning Tehillim Psalms, which we normally do, but I'm just going to give you a special preview of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur by discussing a very, very interesting uh, concept this week. And it's a concept that... Honestly, has baffled me as well. It has all sorts of wrong connotations, and that is the subject of sin. Are you a sinner? Have you sinned this year? We're going to go through Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, which is, as we know, is our high holidays. We do not celebrate as the secular world does, just with partying and maybe a couple of New Year resolutions. We actually take this very, very seriously. And part of the seriousness of the 10 days of repentance is that we indeed repent for the sins that we have done. Now, I don't know how many people have thought about their sins and how many people actually understand how Judaism looks, looks upon what we call in English sins. So, um, I'd love to have an open discussion with you today. I'm going to give you and throw, um, at you a whole lot of ideas to hopefully enhance, um, your Rosh Hashanah this year. We're also going to talk, um, about confession. And what confession means, because we go through a lot of vidui. We do a lot of confessing saying, I did this and I did this and I did this. And the list is, is, is really, really long. Um, and we need to understand that too. So I'm opening up the lines and, um, let's have a bit of a dialogue today about what to you is the concept of sin. Do we believe in sin? Were we born in sin? Do we really, really believe in a thing called confession or is it really something else? So the on-air SMS is 34519. That's the easiest way to get hold of us. You can WhatsApp us on 062-148-2374, email onair at highfm.com. And if you'd like to have a chit-chat, 654 So I'm going to tell you a little bit about a joke of a good... Um, Christian gentleman who decided one day that he was sinning and he had to go before the priests to unburden his heavy, heavy heart. So the very sun, the next Sunday that came up, he landed up going into the confession booth and he is sitting there besides the priest that says, "Yes, my son, what is your sin?" So the guy says, "Your Holiness, I have sinned terribly." What is your sin, my son? He says I am I hid somebody uh, during the war in my attic, and more than hiding somebody in my attic he was a Jew. I have sinned terribly, my father. To which the priest replied Okay. Look, it wasn't the greatest mitzvah that you did, the best thing that you did, but you were saving a human life. And I'm sure God will forgive you. In fact, on God's behalf, I forgive you. You were saving a a human life, and a human life is a human life. Don't worry about it. The man holds his hands, and he starts getting a little bit more nervous, and he says, thank you, your father, but I have sinned further. You have? asked the priest. What was your sin? To which the man replied, Father, I charged him rent for the attic. Ah, said the priest, let me think now. And he gives a little bit of a think and he says, No, don't worry about it, my son. That wasn't a sin. You know, every human being transacts with other human beings and and provides goods and services. And I think in the eyes of God, you were providing a, a service. You're forgiven, my son. You're forgiven. Don't worry about it. The man still doesn't find peace, and now he's wringing his hands, and there's sweat pouring down his face, and he says, Father, I have sinned even further. What is it, my son? asked the priest. The guy turns around, and he says to the priest, Father, am I obligated to tell him that the war is over? Okay, well, I can't hear you all laughing, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, that was a confession for you, and that is something that I would like to discuss with you. What are the ideas in Judaism about sin? What does Judaism say Judaism say about it? How do we go about understanding it and do, using it using it now in the context of the fact that we have to do an accounting um to, for God of our positives, of our mitzvahs, and our avaras, our good and our bad. And then how do we go about cleansing ourselves of it through the process of what we call vidwe, what we call um confession. Um and it's going to be a very interesting topic. You're listening to Robertson Adol Kazilski. Well, welcome back to Soul to Soul, and let's get stuck now into our pre-Rosh Hashanah discussion about sin. And the way that I would like to attack it is to actually read to you a midrash, okay, um, that talks about the significance of sin. And it goes as follows. I'm going to just read it to you, and then we'll go back and dissect it. The midrash reads as follows. They asked wisdom. What is the punishment for the sinner? Wisdom replied, evil pursue sinners. That's a quote from Proverbs. They asked prophecy, what is the punishment for the sinner? Prophecy replied, with a quote from Yecheskel, the soul that sins, it shall die. They asked the Torah, what is the punishment for the sinner? The Torah replied, Quote from Vayikra, from Leviticus, he shall bring a guilt offering and he shall be forgiven. And then they asked of God, what is the punishment for the sinner? And God replied, he shall do chuva, he shall repent and he shall be forgiven. A very, very enigmatic, strange um, midrash And it really doesn't make too much sense Other than that wisdom, prophecy, Torah and God Have different ways of looking at sin And I'd like to take you through a journey And explain each one So that we can get a concept of What is the Jewish concept of sin in Torah So essentially from this Midrash We derive that there are four opinions And they're not necessarily One is right and the other three are wrong but it's just the way that we look at things. As we know in Torah, Torah is multi-dimensional. Um, it's not a it's not a surface uh, concept or idea or wisdom. It's not only black and white. It's not even three-dimensional. It is seventy-dimensional, meaning that you can look at any one mitzvah in the Torah, any one sentence, and see seventy different facets to it. So when it comes to the concept of sinning, of doing wrong, we are going to look at four different opinions, and each and every one of these opinions are correct in and of themselves and work in tandem with and together with the other three. Let's start on the basic level, which was the first one where people went and asked wisdom, wisdom, what is the punishment for the sinner? Okay, wisdom here is that which is intellectual. Your mind, your head. If I said to somebody, what does sin mean? What happens when you do something wrong? Well, the answer is exactly what it says in Proverbs. Evil will pursue the sinner, meaning that the concept of reward and punishment is one of the fundamental principles of Jewish faith. And it's not the fact that God has revenge on the person that does something wrong. It's just a natural consequence. For every action, there is a reaction. Just as much as you will walk out into the snow, you will land up getting frostbite. Or if you throw yourself out of a window, you know you'll get broken legs. So too you know that if you do something wrong, there is a reaction, there is a repercussion, there is a, a, uh, an end to what you're doing. There is something that is going to happen because you have done something wrong. The vice versa is also true. There is a positive end, there is a reward if you do something right. And this is how we run our world. We tell our children all the time, you have to go to sleep and you have to do this and you have to do that. Otherwise, what will happen? And we give them the whole list of the negative repercussions. If we say, don't go to sleep on time, you'll be a basket case tomorrow. You will not be able to concentrate. You will not be able to do well at school. So let's do the positive action. Go to sleep on time. So tomorrow is a productive day. Be nice to somebody because when you're nice to somebody, the reaction is, is that they will be nice to you and this will be a nice world. Be nasty to somebody and commit a sin against somebody. The the reaction will be that you've created something negative and negativity will follow in its path. So this is the first level of sin. There is an action and there's a reaction. If you've done something wrong this year, there is a negative reaction punishment end at waiting for you. And if you've done something positive, then that is also um, there for you. So King Solomon, when he says evil pursues um, the um, iniquity, evil pursues the sinner, all he is saying is that the adverse effect of a sin is the natural consequence of the acts that run contrary to how Hashem created the world. The end. And it's, it's a very, very simple explanation. The kids know they're either being good or they're being naughty. Either you're going to do something good and you're going to be praised and rewarded for it, or you're going to do something not good and you're not going to be praised and you're not going to be rewarded. The vice versa is going to happen to you. That is the first level of understanding sin. There's good and evil. And with each one of these actions, there is a reaction. There is a result. And it's pretty simple to, I think, 99% of people, they know that their actions will have repercussions. That's the first level The second level is a little bit more of a deeper level And this was when they asked prophecy Now the fact that they're asking prophecy Prophecy is higher than wisdom Wisdom is your intellectual capacities And you understand right and wrong Good and bad When we're asking prophecy We're asking to look beyond the intellectual capacities To something a little bit more spiritual Something a little bit more connected to God we could say that prophecy is the ability of man to cleave and to commune with God so that you can get a deeper insight into the significance of of sin. So when they asked prophecy, they said, what is the punishment for the sinner? What happens when we do something wrong? Prophecy replied through Yecheskel, the soul that sins, it shall die. What does that all mean? So the answer given is, 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 is pretty straightforward, but a little bit more esoteric, a little bit more deeper. Each and every human being is connected to God. Okay. We are connected to God through an umbilical cord. Imagine you've got an umbilical cord and it's through that umbilical cord that we receive blessing and goodness into our lives. We can, God forbid, put ourselves in a situation where we choose to negate God out of our lives, to negate the goodness that we are bequeathed from him and live a godless life. We we cut ourselves off. We transgress the divine will. And so by doing so, we sabotage the vitality that connects the soul to its source. And therefore, When prophecy is asked, what is sin all about? They're saying the soul that sins will die. Meaning that you can put yourself in a situation where you become an atheist, where you deny God. You want nothing to do with him. You cut him off out of your world. You go and beat your own drum. And what happens is, is that you dry up that umbilical cord. And the result of this is that the soul dies. Meaning that The soul doesn't have the nourishment it needs, the vitality it needs to live in this life in a very, very full way. One of the results of this is that you will, without doubt, if you cut God out of your life and have no spiritual connection whatsoever and live only on the physical plane, you will find that there will be times when you will feel so empty inside. And nothing, not another car, some more money, whatever it is that you think can fill you up will fill you up because there is that intrinsic emptiness inside because you have starved your soul of its vital connection. That's why, by the way, in the Talmud, um, it says the wicked even in their lifetimes are considered dead and the righteous even in their death death are considered alive because Life and death is not just on a physical plane where you see your body moving and then you don't. There is a soul behind it, and the soul continues to live on. The question is, do you feed that soul? Have you fed that soul? And are you able to maintain that umbilical cord, that vitality between you and the Creator? When you sin, meaning when you choose to turn your, your ways against God— And negate him out of your life, you're basically strangulating that relationship. That even in your lifetime, you could be considered dead. And dead is not a physical thing. Dead is an emotional one, an intellectual one, a spiritual one. So that is the second level of sin. When you cut yourself off from that which is true and that which is real in this world. The third level is a pretty, pretty interesting one because this is the level where the people go to the Torah, go to Hashem's blueprint. Goes, We go back to, the, to, to the, the manual with which we were created and we say to the Torah, what is the punishment for sin? And the Torah replies from its own book, Leviticus, that one needs to bring a guilt offering and he will be forgiven. What is the Torah saying? See, the Torah is giving a far more penetrating view of the dynamics of sin because what the Torah recognizes is something much, much deeper than prophecy. Prophecy is saying we've got this umbilical cord. Maybe we don't see it, but it's there. And if we choose to sin, we're strangulating ourselves. We're cutting off that that tap. But deeper than that, what Torah is saying is that The essence of a person's life is his relationship with God. And the fact is, is that nobody, however hard they try, they can run to the Himalayas, they can denounce God out of their life, they can be the biggest atheist on the planet, you can be the biggest non believer in this world. You're still connected to God. You know why? Because you're breathing. You're alive. And everything that exhibits some form of life is getting a gift of life from God. So let's take the extreme example of Hitler. Hitler was the epitome of evil. I don't think that there was a good bone in his entire body. He wreaked havoc and negativity and destruction across the entire world. But nevertheless, Hitler was still connected to God because God gave him life. Now, I'm not going to go into uh, the discussion of how, why would God give such a guy life? That's not for now. What is for now is to understand that every single thing on this planet, human and non-human, the plant kingdom, the animal kingdom, the inanimate kingdom, everything has a piece of godliness, has some godly energy inside of them, and that vivifies them and gives them life. And while we may choose through our own free will to go and negate God's existence and His life-giving forces to us, and think that we live on and stand on our own two feet, even if we denounce all of that, nevertheless we're still connected to God. So what what Torah is saying is that because. Every single human being is connected to God. Every single thing has got a life force in them. And he's essentially connected to God. There is a Kabbalistic concept that why would people sin if we understood the concept that everything was connected? To God at all times, why Why are we not doing things God wants us to do? Why are we beating our own drum? Why are we deciding what we want to eat, when we want to eat, how we want to keep the days of the week, when, if we want to go to shul, if we feel like going to Mauritius, if we're the ones deciding it. It's like a total negation because there's free will. And free will allows us to choose between recognizing our relationship with God or denying our relationship with God. And from a Torah perspective, from the third level of sin, what Torah is saying that a person will not come to sin unless a spirit of folly enters him. It's called ruach stus, a spirit of stupidity. So we're kind of all stupid people because we walk around Thinking that we control our lives Thinking what we do Is because we want to And this is us And who we are And what we are But in truth It's a spirit of folly Because essentially We're only alive Because God wants us To be alive today God is vivifying us Every single minute Now here's an interesting thing Just kind of like At a tangent But an example Of this principle Okay we know very well that when it comes to a divorce, God forbid, the Torah mandates that a person is, should grant his wife a divorce, and if he refuses, a based in a Jewish court, at any time or place, can beat him up until he says, "I am willing," and he writes the 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 the, the get. Okay, And the Torah questions it, the rabbis question it, how can a get that, was, that, that, that we, 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 we got under coercion be a kosher get? How can it be a valid dis, uh, uh, divorce when we actually coerce the person into doing it? Because a get has to be a get that is granted willingly. So here's the answer. It's based on the fact that a person will only sin in a spirit of folly. Meaning that the Beth Din is allowed to coerce the person because, from the Beth Din perspective, that represents the perspective of God, this person is a veritable piece of godliness. He's connected to God. And he's he is unwilling to give the get only because a spirit of folly. He has created a whole lot of reasons whatever they may be big and small justified and unjustified as to why he does not want to do the mitzvah of giving the get in order that you bring him to his senses that he is obligated being a Jew connected to God. And you bring him to his senses that if he was in the right mind, he would fulfill this mitzvah. You're allowed to coerce him the opposite is also true so for example i own a house right the beth din cannot ever come to my house and coerce me to sell it there's no mitzvah in the torah that i have to sell my house so there's no coercion there but when you know that there is a mitzvah that needs to happen and the person is not fulfilling the mitzvah in such a case where it has dire consequences um, on 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 the wife on the family etc etc the beth din will go to all lengths, in order for, um, for 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 the get to be to 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 be received. So again, just to sum it in another way, an individual who refuses to grant a divorce desires, in truth, to be Jewish and to observe all the commandments and to avoid all the trans- transgressions of the Torah. It's only because his evil inclination has overpowered him. And so if he's beaten, his evil inclination will be weakened and he will say, I'm willing, I am happy to give the divorce. Going back now, that is why the Torah says, what is sin? If you have sinned, you must bring a guilt offering and you will be forgiven. What is the guilt offering? In the time of the temple, the guilt offering was an animal sacrifice. What was the point of that? The point of that was if you realized you did something wrong, you brought an animal to be sacrificed because what you were saying to God, I recognize that my animal soul, my evil inclination got the better of me and I erred in my ways, not my godly soul. My godly soul is always connected to God. And therefore, by the process of going through the guilt offering, you achieve atonement for the sin. You achieve forgiveness For the sin, because really the sin is only a repercussion or a result of your spirit of folly, of you listening to your animal soul. And these three levels that we see over here are really the three ways people can skin the cat in terms of sin. Let's just repeat them again so everybody understands. Sin from the wisdom point of view, from the intellectual point of view, is for every action there's a reaction. You do something wrong, you will be punished. You do something good, you will be rewarded. The end. A much deeper level is is that you are receiving your life force from God. You are connected to God. But if you choose to turn your way from God and negate Him, you will strangulate your spiritual side of yourself, your soul, your feelings, your emotions, all the stuff that you can't you can't you can't feel, and over there, what will happen is it says your soul will die. You will feel yourself withering inside, because of 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 the inability to connect to what's real. The third level is is that none of us want to do anything wrong. It's just we get into a spirit of folly. We follow Facebook and see that this one or that one is doing something, or we buy into the marketing and the media, etc., etc. And this is how we get into trouble. And the way we Get ourselves out of it is by bringing a guilt offering of our animal soul, of saying to God, I realize that this was my animal instincts, my evil inclination, my base desires that led me to this. And I am sorry because I know that I am connected to you too. You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Welcome back, and we are talking about the ideas of sin. And we've just gone through three different levels that the Torah gives, and we're going to dissect now the fourth, because the fourth is perhaps the most interesting of them all. The three, as we said, were part of wisdom, part of prophecy, part of Torah, delving a little bit deeper and deeper into sin. But now we go straight to God, and we say to God, What is sin? What happens? What is the punishment for the sinner? And God replies, he does tshuva and he shall be forgiven. Let us understand this by just taking a few steps back. One of the ways that we categorize Torah is that we understand that Torah categorizes the universe into two domains. There's the permissible and the forbidden. Beef is permissible, pork is forbidden. Doing work in the six days of the week is permissible. Working on Shabbos is not. The trait of compassion is permissible and should be cultivated. The trait of haughtiness should be eliminated and you shouldn't come to it. Basically, what is happening in this categorization is the understanding, and it comes from our Hasidic masters, that Torah is more than a a list of do's and don'ts. Yes, we do have... 248 do's and 365 don'ts. But the reason why we have do's and don'ts is as follows. In every single thing, there is a spark of divine energy that constitutes its essence and its soul. And this spark that is found in every single thing embodies the function within the divine purpose of creation. So, for example, if a person utilizes something, whether it's a physical object or a force, or he uses a trait or a feeling, or he sees or experiences a cultural phenomenon, and he uses it towards a godly end, then he brings the light of that divine spark at its core and realizes the purpose for which it was created. Now, certain things we are able to elevate, certain things we are able to release that spark, And others, we are not. For example, if one eats a piece of kosher meat and then one takes that energy that one gains from it and goes out and performs a mitzvah, then you elevate the spark of divinity that is found in the meat, you free it from its mundane incarnation, and you raise it to a state of spirituality. If, on the other hand, you would try to do the same thing with a non Kosher piece of meat okay, Meat that God has forbidden us to consume You would never be able to elevate it That is The deeper meaning of the Hebrew word Asur and muta That which is permitted, that which is not permitted Asur being the not permitted, muta being the permitted Asur means It's bound The sparks inside something is bound And it cannot be released So the meat from Say a piece of Pork cannot be elevated you can stand on your head you can make as many blessings as you want you can shecht it in the most kosher way you can do whatever you want you cannot release the sparks there and the vice versa that which is permitted means unbound mutar means unbound and those are the sparks which Torah has empowered us to extricate from 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 it and and and, and actively involve ourselves in releasing it now There's two ways to behave in this world. We can behave as the tzaddik. The tzaddik, the righteous person, is somebody who remains in the realm of the permissible. His entire paradigm is that he serves God with only things that God says you can do. He eats and drinks and walks and sleeps and thinks and and conducts his entire life according to the dictates of the Torah. And for us, he's considered a completely righteous person. He only works within the realm of that which is permissible. And it is a level, it is a a a um, an achievement. There are very, very few Tsadikim in this world, there are very, very few righteous people that behave like that. On the other hand, there's all of us. We're called the Balet Shuva, the masters of repentance. Why? Because what happens with us is that we don't stay in the realm of the permissible. Sadly, we also dip into the realm of the not permissible, of that which is forbidden. Now, we understand from the other three levels of sin that every time we do that, we disconnect ourselves from God. Now, here comes a Jew on Erev Rosh Hashanah, and we take an accounting of our lives, and we can see we ain't tzaddikim. We're not. We're not righteous people that have lived in the world of the permissible the whole year. We've gone onto the side of the world of the forbidden. What can we do in order to cleanse ourselves? And uh, the Torah goes and says sorry, God goes and says, He answers Himself that you should do tshuva and you shall be forgiven. Meaning what? That we should use the impetus, the negativity, that we experienced, we should take that as the impetus to resolve not to do it again and move forward with an even greater thrust and velocity into the new year. Many times in our lives we experience negativity. We experience just horrible stuff. Now we can do one of two things with it. We can wallow in it. We can be angry about it. We can be fearful about it. We can do all the negative stuff about it. Or we can go and say, this came as a teaching to me how not to be, and I resolve in the future that I will be better because of it. Because of it. Not that I negate it or hide it under the thing, that I understand completely it's full pain, and I am going to do something because of it. When one does that, one becomes a real baltriva. One becomes a person who takes the negative experiences in their lives, and uses that as the fuel to become even better, and that's why our rabbis teach that in the place where bal tshuva stands, absolute tzaddikim cannot stand, because the the, the bal tshuva is taking what is totally negative, and he's liberating those sparks. OK, and using them as a positive force so that he can intensify his bond with God. And this is Chuvah in its ultimate sense. Chuva meaning returning to Hashem, reclaiming the lost moments, your days or your years, or reclaiming the energies of a negative past and using them to force you to do something unbelievably positive in, 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 the, in the future. And that really sums up the deepest level of sin is that what we should do when we come forward to God on Rosh Hashanah, we should look at what we've done negatively. And instead of just saying, Oh, those are also negative and feel fearful, anxious, angry, whatever that you do feel about it, say, what can I, what lessons can I learn from the negativity and how can I change them? How can they be the very motivation? That makes me into a better person the next year. You're listening to Rabbits and Adol Kazilski. Okay. We only have one or two minutes to wrap up. And unfortunately, I did not get to the part about confession, but let's just see if I can uh, consolidate it into two or three minutes. The point of confession, firstly, is for us to use that vehicle. To understand the negativity in our life that is based on the fourth level of sin. When we realize that we've done something wrong and we relive the pain and the anguish and the memory of it, that should be the impetus to us doing something better. And it is part of the chuvah process. Part of the chuvah process is A, recognize it, B, confess it, C, don't do it again. So that that is part of the Jewish idea of confession. I'd like to add in one thing, which unfortunately I cannot expand on, but one of the most important things in confessing is that while we will sit there and we'll say, I I sinned Hashem because I didn't eat properly, and I sinned Hashem because my eyes went astray, and I sinned because I lied, and I sinned because I stole, and I sinned because, and we go on. We could land ourselves in a place where we feel so negative that we will have no impetus to rise up again. Judaism teaches that in order to confess the negativity, one has to also go look at the positivity of a person. So before you start your confession— Look at what you have got to give to this world. Look at the positive things that have happened. Look at the gifts that you have to give to the world. Because God make no rubbish. Every single human being is on this planet because they are unique and they are special. And in fact, I heard a talk yesterday that said that uh, the scientists, I guess mathematicians who had nothing better to do, but they worked out that there is only one in a 400 million, rand, uh, 400 million chance of you being born who you are with your genetics to the parents you did in the place that you, you were born, etc., cetera, et cetera, So you're not something that happened by mistake. You happened on purpose. And in happening in purpose, you've got purpose. You've got gifts you can give to this world. So before we enter into Rosh Hashanah, while we might have quite a long leg- ledger on the negative, Look at the positive and see what it is that you've got to give, what you have given, what you can give, what the positive of you is. Because when somebody is positive about who they are, then they have the ability to say in this area – I'm sorry, and I won't do it again. If we don't have the negative, if the positive in our area, we're going to just think I'm a good for nothing and I amount to nothing. And then your chuvah will not be of the highest level. With that in mind, I wish each and every single one of you a ketivava May you all be inscribed into the book of life, filled with Hashem's richest blessings in everything that you need to continue um, on your path in this world. And let us all pray for the ultimate blessing, which contains all the blessings we need, and that is the rival of Mashiach. Have a Shanatova.